Exodus chapter 6. As we continue a study, um, just theology 101, the study of God, and we come to a section now where we're looking at the names of God. You know, we know that according to the Bible, it means so much. You know, um, what the name does is it reveals an element of that individual's character, of that individual's destiny. And when it comes to God, it's so cool to study all his names because uh, it reveals a little bit about him. And there are things that are communicated to us. And here we read in Exodus 6 and verse 1, it says, And then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. Study the names of God and you get to kind of get a, a better look at him. You, you get a deeper revelation of who he is. Last week we studied I am in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said, well, who should I say sent me? He said, tell them that I am, that I am has sent you. Tell them that I am has sent you. And we saw that God is the one who always exists. He's outside of time. He's self-sufficient. He chooses to use his existence for you. Whatever you need in life, wherever you're at right now in life, God says, I am what you need. Not just a precept, not just a principle, not just a program. It's a person. And that's what's so cool about Christianity, man. It's not a religion. It's a personal relationship with God. You walk with him. You talk with him. You love him. He loves you back. You commit yourself to him. He's committed to you. We see that. He is, I am. Today we see it kind of builds on that. In the Hebrew, it's not the exact same, but it's built upon the I am. And what God is saying is kind of the same thing. But this time what we're going to see is that I am, in John chapter 7, was God kind of speaking beforehand as far as what he would do. You know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. These are things that he would be doing. But when we look at this name right here, we're going to see these are elements of God in which along our way, he shows us who he is. Like when he provides, we're going to see for Abraham, he says that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who will provide. Or we see later when God gives Gideon peace, he says, I am Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives peace. And we're going to go through seven uh, compound names of God in the Old Testament. But what that does is that helps us, you guys, in life to learn the way that it works, that as you go through life and as God intervenes and as God flexes his muscles and as God shows you in your own life who he is, you get to know him more and more. And what that does is makes you stronger and stronger and stronger as a God follower. It's a really beautiful thing. You know, here we see what theologians call God's personal, proper name. You know, you use the word God or Elohim and everybody uses that word. Or you use the word Adonai or Lord and everybody uses that word. But this word right here was his personal name. 
All of us here have a personal name. We got Fred. We got Ed, right? We got Betty. We got Eddie. We got different names, right? Everybody has a personal name. Well, this is God's personal name. And the reason he brings it up at this juncture in history is because he is entering into a covenant relationship with his people. You guys know how it is? Remember when you bought your house or you refinance your house or whatever it is, you know, and they want all your information. They want your not just, you know, you know, you don't just put John, you put Johnny. You don't just put Steve, you put Stephen. You don't just put Tim, you put Timothy. You got to put your middle name. You got to put your last name. You got to give them your social security number. You've got to give your signature a hundred thousand times, right? I mean, the real you. I mean, this is not just, you know, a nickname. The real you enters into a covenant. And that's exactly what God has done. And every time you come upon this right here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you need to know that that is God's covenant name. Now, we say Yahweh. Uh, The English transliteration of it is Jehovah. But to be honest with you, we don't really know for sure how to pronounce it. Because according to the third commandment, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, um, the Bible says that you're not supposed to use the Lord's name in vain. And so what happened was the Jews, they did not want to desecrate his name. And so as time went on, they didn't say his name. They didn't write his name. Why? Because they didn't want to say his name in vain. As a matter of fact, when the scribes were copying the Bible, what they did was they would put the tetragrammaton. They would put four letters without vowels. Why? So that when you read your Bible and you were a good Jew, you wouldn't say the name. They just didn't want you to say his name because you might desecrate his name. What they did is they put the vowel points for Adonai underneath it so that when you came to God's covenant name, you wouldn't say it. You would just say Adonai. Then what happened over history is when Christians began to read that, they inserted the vowel names. Next thing you know, we've got Jehovah, we've got Yahweh, We've got Jehovah. We've got all these different things. We don't know for sure, really, how to pronounce his name. You know, it's kind of interesting. You come across this right here, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, and you know that it's the covenant name. Now, if you have your Bible on your phone, how many of you have your Bible on your phone, just out of curiosity? Okay, that's cool to have, but be real careful because most of the Bibles on the phone, they don't capitalize it. Because they don't realize that that is God's covenant name. But if you have a a good translation, and you know, usually most of the written translations, they do have that. And when you come across that 5,521 times in the Old Testament, you're supposed to stop. And you're supposed to say, wow, this is God's name. You know, I, I got to meet the chief of police, and I usually call him chief and chief and chief. Finally, one day he says, you know what, call me Tom. You know, and you guys know how it is, right? You get to know individuals and, you know, you, they, Mr. So-and-so, Professor Belowian. And then you kind of enter into a deeper relationship. And he says, you know what? Stop doing that. Call me Bruce. When I was a kid, I met my, my, my girlfriend. She was my girlfriend then, Shelly, and met her mom and her dad. And so I was just a kid, you know. And so I always called them Mr. and Mrs. Amaya. Hi, Mr. Amaya. How, Mrs. Amaya? You know, and I dated her for six years, and I got older, and then eventually I got married, and I still call them Mr. and Mrs. Amaya. 
And Shelly would say, don't call her that. You know, call her mom or call her Rose or something. You know, it sounds kind of weird. Do you call her Mr. Amaya or Mrs. Amaya? But is this something I couldn't get out of me? And, you know, you come to that point in the relationship, I guess, where the Lord says, I, I want you to call me by my first name now. You know, and we may not be able to articulate it vocally and verbally, but in our heart, we know what we're talking about. We're talking about the one and only personal living God. And we come to him and, and you know, we're just blown away. You know, that's the way it is with words. Just in case I want to share with you guys, a lot of times people will get hung up on this and you can probably trace this on the internet and they'll tell you, hey man, you know, this is how you pronounce God's name and they get all crazy about it. And, um, you know, let me tell you something. It's not a secret pronunciation that God is looking for. Oh, I know the name. It's Jehovah. It's Yahweh. It's Jehovah. And, you know, they write all these papers about it. No, it's not a secret pronunciation. It's a heartfelt identification. I mean, you know how words are, right? You know how words are? I can say, I love pizza. I love pizza. And you guys are thinking, well, he likes pizza. He likes it. And so I should get him a gift certificate to Roundtable or something, right? (laughs) He loves pizza. And then I say, I love you, Shelley. I love you, Aaron. I love you, Ariel. And in that same word, it just carries a certain connotation about it. And, and that's the way it is when we come across the Lord. And we've got different lords. And it's Adonai, and then it's Master. We're going to get into that. Kyrios in the Greek. But when we come to the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, what we see is God says, that's my name. And I'm revealing myself to you. Why? Because now I'm giving you my social security number. I'm giving you my first and middle and last name. Why? Because now I'm entering into a covenant relationship with you. Because see, that's what was happening here in the book of Exodus chapter 6. You know, the Lord said, I'm taking you out of Egypt now. I'm taking you out of the world. And see, that's what God has done with us. You know, I don't know how you guys got saved. I don't know what you were doing before you were Christians. But some of you here, you know, you were all messed up. You were addicted to drugs and alcohol and you were trapped and you couldn't get out. Some of you here were violent. Some of you here were angry. Some of you here did time, right? I mean, some of you here were religious. I don't know what your background is, but we've all come from somewhere where we were lost and we were without hope and we were in the world. And God took us out of the world, right? He set us free. When the devil, Pharaoh, thought he could keep us, God set us free. And it was at that point that he revealed this personal relationship that we have. And he said, this is who I am. I want you to know that. You know, a lot of times in church, and it's very important that we say this, you know, you've got to commit yourself to the Lord. You have to have it in your heart that says, come hell or high water, I'm committed to the Lord. And nothing or no one will ever get in the way of my commitment to God. You know, so many times we see Christians, man, and they, you know, they get trapped up by this little 14-year-old girl over there. You're going to let that 14-year-old little girl come between you and God? And whatever it is, you got to have the commitment, right? But I want you to know something at the same time, that he's committed to you. 
that he signed on the dotted line, that he gave you all his personal information. Why? Because he enters into that covenant relationship. And that's what theologians tell us. Theologians tell us that when it comes to Yahweh or Jehovah, his covenant name, that it has to do with the covenant that he has with you. 47 times in the Bible, you'll find his covenant name and the word covenant together. That's why when you read in the book of Genesis chapter 1, the first creation account, you won't find the covenant name because it's kind of a, a distant account. It's like a generic account. But then the second account of creation in which he makes man, it's very personal. And that's when you see the Lord God. That's when you see the personal God. You see, and as you go through life, you guys, you will learn more and more about him. You will discover more and more about him. I mean, if you're just going to church, if you're just like on living on the surface, then you won't. And you're going to come in and you're going to go out and you're going to come in and you're going to go out and you're not going to walk in the supernatural power of God. I've been a Christian now for 21 years. I celebrated my birthday just the other day and I've seen a lot of people never change. Never change. And I, and I think, well, I think they're saved, but man, they're, they're not this, you know, on this journey. I've also seen some Christians, you know, they have only been like for a little time. And man, it's so radical what God does. But as you're really wanting to walk with the Lord, then he changes your life and he shows you who he is. And the more you know God, the more you'll love God. And the more you love God, the more you'll obey him. You see, and that's what God wants for our life. Here the Lord said, listen, I'm starting a new life with you. We're going to get out of Egypt and we're going to go to the promised land. Now, for all of us here, we've got a promised land. A lot of you here have forgotten that. You've forgotten that you have a promised land. You forgot that God has a calling on your life. That God has certain things that he wants you to do. And you're getting so wrapped up in your own life. And God says, listen, man, there's a promised land. There's a land that's flowing with milk and honey, everything you want, everything you need. But you got to fully surrender, you know, and and as you're there, the Lord shows you who he is. And then what you find in life is that you end up doing great exploits for God. He uses your life. I mean, don't you want God to use your life? Don't you? I mean, you don't want to just go through life and, you know, I went to work, paid the bills, bought a house, got a nice car, went on vacation and then die. Right? You want God to use your life. And so we enter into that relationship with him and we yield to him and he shows us who he is. And as you go through life, it's so cool because he really does show you more and more of himself. It's so amazing. You know, we don't know for sure. Like I said, scholars say that it's probably Yahweh. But we know that um, 
in the Hebrew language is no J sound. As a matter of fact, um, Jesus' name in the Hebrew is Yeshua, right? Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus Christ, right? The, the Messiah. But, um, you know, for us, it's kind of cool. Because on the day of Pentecost, if you remember on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came. Everybody started speaking in tongues, right? And do you guys remember what happened? The people that saw and, and heard, they said, we hear them speaking the wonderful works of God in our own language. You see, God didn't make them learn Hebrew. And he's not going to make you learn some secret name. No, we translate it into English. And for us, I think 1901, the New American Standard said, uh, it's, it's Jehovah. We'll use the name Jehovah. And for us, I think that's okay. Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh, as long as you know who you're talking about, right? And then when we're there, God reveals himself to you more and more. Last week, we went over I am, and we saw seven I am statements out of John. This week, we're going to go through the Old Testament, and we're going to see seven compound names of Jehovah God. And you'll kind of see how it works, that as you go through life, he reveals to you who he is, and then you remember, and then it makes you stronger. And for the first compound name, why don't we go, let's see here, where is it at? Over to the book of Genesis chapter 22. And we look at, at how it works. Genesis chapter 22 is a chapter in which God had called Abraham to sacrifice his only son Isaac, the one that he loved. Abraham, a man of faith, knew that somehow, some way, God would take care of everything. He didn't flinch. He rose up early and he obeyed God. You know, for some people, it's so cool the way it works, man. God gives you an order. And you don't say, hmm, let me think about it, you know. When God gives you a, an order, he says, jump. You say, how high, right? That's the way Abraham was at this point in his life. He said, okay, Lord. And then he takes off and then he goes. And in verse 9, it says, they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Now, you might think, why would God ask anyone to kill their son? That is just the weirdest thing in the Bible, right? As a matter of fact, he's never, ever done that before. But what it was is that God, number one, wanted to test Abraham. And God, number two, wanted to give a picture, a typology of what would eventually take place 2,000 years later. Because on that same mountain, the very same mountain, Mount Moriah, the father would sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ, right there. It's such an awesome thing when you think about it. And all the typologies that are there are amazing. But as Abraham was about to sacrifice his son, it says in verse 11, that the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And so he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there was behind him a ram caught in a thicket by its thorns, horns. And so Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And he went, whew. <laughs> 
Thank you, Lord, man. I don't know about you, but man, to, to, to take your, your own son, your, the one that all your dreams are wrapped up in, and then the Lord says, okay, no, no, hold on a second. I see your heart. I see you really love me. I see you love me more than anyone or anything else. I see it. And so he stopped him, and then the Lord provided a ram right there, right? And, and it's so cool because Abraham saw the whole thing happen in his life. And look what happens next. It says in verse 14, And Abraham called the name of the place, The Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And in the Hebrew, it's a compound name. It is Jehovah Jireh. And you got to know who God is. He's Jehovah Jireh. He is the God who will provide. That's who he is. And maybe you're here today and financially things don't look good. Remember who he is, Jehovah Jireh. He's a God who will provide. You know, maybe you're here today and you need a friend. He's the God who will provide. A friend, emotional needs, spiritual needs, whatever it is in life. You know, I think about the building that we're praying about getting into. And sometimes I think, well, Lord, no, it's okay. We'll just stay here. It's within our comfort zone. We're paying the bills. We're even saving money, Lord. And so let's just play it safe, right? Wrong. <laughs> we can't do that. We have to follow the Lord. And so if he takes us over there, I got to remember he's Jehovah Jireh. And you got to remember too. He will provide for you. He really will. You don't have to freak out. You don't have to stress out. We don't have to beg for money. Imagine if I said, okay, you guys, let's give again. And some churches are like that. They take a, an offering, you know, twice a service and midweek service and Sunday night service. And they'll send you little letters. Hey, give us money, you know. I mean, that's not the Lord providing, right? That's the arm of the flesh. All we got to do is pray. God is always provided for this church. We took three steps of faith already. Steps of faith that we couldn't afford. Couldn't afford the office. Couldn't afford this. Couldn't afford different things, individuals. And God has always provided for us. If he doesn't provide, then he doesn't want us to go there, right? You're like, wait a minute, man. I thought you said God was the provider. How come, you know, I don't have a Hummer yet, you know? And, and, and more than likely is because God does not want you to have a Hummer, you know, he wants you to have your moped or whatever it is that you have right now. <laughs> I have learned that where God guides, God provides. What do we learn as Americans? MasterCard, Visa, Discover. <laughs> and God is saying, give me a break, man. That's not me. You're digging yourself a hole. You see, where God guides, God provides. We see he is Jehovah Jireh. Secondly, over in Jeremiah chapter 23... In verse 6, this is a really cool prophecy about Israel. And it talks about how at one time they had these bad shepherds that steered them wrong. They didn't know the Lord. But then how in the last days God would gather them back to the land and God would actually save them. It says in verse 5, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now, this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Or in the Hebrew, Jehovah to Sidkenu, the Lord, 
our righteousness. You see, you look at Israel today and you're thinking, man, they're never going to come to Christ. But they will. Why? Because the Bible says today, 25 percent are atheists. The vast majority of Israel does not believe in Jesus. But one day they will during the millennial kingdom, halfway through the tribulation period. God is going to do an amazing work with the Jews. And Jesus Christ, it says right here, I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a king. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment. That's the millennial kingdom. That's when King Jesus sets up his kingdom on earth for a thousand years. And God will save Judah. God will save Israel. And what will it be? Will it be because they were so good? Will it be because they, you know, helped old ladies across the street? Was it, will it be because they gave to the poor? No, it will be because the Lord will be their righteousness. The Lord is their righteousness. Just like us. The Lord is our righteousness. Do you know that? The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, a lot of times I think we forget that. You want to know why you're accepted? Because of Jesus. Because of his righteousness. Now we need to try to obey. We should have a heart to do what's right. But I don't care how good of a person you are. Your righteousness is as filthy rags, the Bible says. Isaiah 64, verse 6. And so you're like, hey, Manny, but I'm a lot better of a Christian than they are. What, you got more rags or what? (laughs) Comparing yourself to God, I'm sorry. None of us here measures up. But the cool thing is, Jesus died for my sins. He's my righteousness. You see, when you place your faith in him... He covers you with your righteousness. They use the banking term, imputing his righteousness to your account. And so now you are justified. You believe in Jesus? You believe in Jesus in your heart? Then you're justified. Just as if you'd never sinned. You see, that's the way it works. Yeah, but Manny, I still blow it. You know what? I mean, don't take that lightly. But your righteousness is in him. You see, he's Jehovah Jireh, the God that will provide. He's Jehovah Tzidkenu, the God that provides our righteousness. It'll never be by works. Someone comes to you and says, hey, man, you know, I'm going to give you some legalistic burden. You got to get circumcised, hypnotized, baptized, or whatever it is. You know what? Tell them no. If I began in the spirit, I will continue to walk by faith in his righteousness and not in my own. You see, you learn who God is. As you read the scriptures, next one is over in Exodus chapter 15. And we read in verse 22, it says, So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and then they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, 
Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And we come now to the next compound name, and that is Jehovah Rapha. And that is the Lord, our healer. You know, they come to this place, and imagine, you guys, if you can for a second, three days with nothing to drink. You haven't drank for three days. I mean, that would be kind of trippy. I mean, you got to admit, man. And so they finally come to some water, but they find out that the water's poisonous, can't drink it. And so they begin to complain against Moses. What does Moses do? He cries out, Lord, help. And so what does the Lord do? The Lord says, okay, get this tree, throw it in the waters, and it'll purify the waters. The tree is symbolic of the cross. And as the cross comes into our life, it gives us the healing waters that we need to be made whole. You know, the Hebrew uh, for Jehovah Rapha is the Lord who makes you whole. Now, some people mistakenly think that as Christians, you know, they're dysfunctional. And there are certain things that happen in life that they will never, ever overcome. It'll always be a handicap. You know what? And that's not really the way it works for us as Christians. God can take whatever it is that you've been through in life and he can heal you of that. God can take whatever it is that you've been gashed with and shot at and cut and whatever it is that you experience in life and he can take that stumbling stone and make it a stepping stone. You want to know why? Because he's Jehovah Rapha. He's the God who heals you physically, emotionally, spiritually. The Bible says if any of you are sick, you come, you have the elders, anoint them with oil, pray over them. Pray over them. I can heal you. But a lot of times they go straight to the doctors, straight to the medication. Now, I'm not telling you you shouldn't go to the hospital, but first go to God. First go to God. Why? Because he's Jehovah Rapha. He can heal you. Have you ever had a fever? How many of you got ever been healed from a fever, just out of curiosity? You take it for granted. Huh. You're like, oh, that's no big deal. That wasn't God. Yes, it was. You ever been cut? He heals you. I felt sorry for one of the kids yesterday at the beach, man. He got beat up, banged up. He got stung by a bee on his lip. I mean, everything happened to him, man. Or like, ah, the Lord will take care of you, Peter. <laughs> He's Jehovah Rapha. He'll heal you. But the big holes in our hearts, man, we got to know that through the cross, he makes those bitter waters sweet. And he takes those stumbling stones and he turns them into stepping stones. The Bible says in Psalm 6, 2, Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. And when you read the Bible and you speak about the bones, you know, really what theologians think is that he's just talking about deep, deep, deep hurts. And a lot of us carry those in our life, you know. I was talking to a man earlier. He, he thinks he's in a pit that's too deep for God. He said, it's over. My life is over. And I said, no, it's not. There's no pit too deep for God. You got to believe. And you got to know who God is. You know, when you look at God and you begin to discover who he is, it kind of leads us to our next one, which is over in the book of Judges, chapter 6. And here we have the story of Gideon. God would use him in a great way for his glory. 
But Gideon, um, he wasn't a, a perfect candidate by any means because homeboy, he was a lot. Of, he was afraid a lot, man. He doubted. And so it kind of gives us hope, I, I think, sometimes, you know. But in Judges 6 and verse 21, it says, The angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire rose out of the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And so Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall die. You shall not die. You know, Gideon was so afraid. He was so afraid. What if this happens or this is going to happen? I'm going to die. And the Lord said, Don't worry. This is all part of my plan. You need to see me. You need to see what I've done because I'm going to use your life to save my people. You had to see me, but you're not going to die. And I think a lot of times in our life, we, we, we get afraid of whatever it is. Well, what if that happens? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if this takes place over there? What if I lose my house? You know, I mean, you know what? The Lord said, I'll take care of you. You'll have food, you'll have clothing, and you'll have a calling on your life. Nothing can thwart God's will for your life except you. And a lot of times what ends up happening is the fears, they paralyze us. God doesn't want you to carry those fears. The only fear you should have is the fear of God. The fear of man brings a snare. Who cares if we die? We're going home, right? I mean, what's there to be afraid of? If you get stripped of everything, if you lose all the material possessions, you still have the Lord. He'll take care of you. He will take care of you. Gideon right here was afraid. But the Lord doesn't want us to have that fear. And so it says in verse 24, that Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and he called it, the Lord is peace. Uh, In the Hebrew, it's Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is our peace. And I want you to know, because of the love that he has for you, he's going to take care of you, man. I mean, can you think for a second of any parent who's halfway decent, who's even got just a sliver of love, how much they would take care of their kids? Well, if we would do that, and we're so wicked, the Bible says, how much more will your heavenly father take care of you? I mean, he sees every sparrow before it falls on the ground. And if he takes care of the sparrows and the flowers and all those types of things with such, you know, detail, what makes us fear sometimes into thinking that our way is hidden from the Lord? I mean, he knows every hair you have. He knows every tear you cried, every thought you think. And he wants you to have peace. He wants you to have peace. You guys ever see people, sometimes they're bouncing off the wall. They're worried about this. They're worried about that. They're like chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Sometimes you see Christians like that, huh? And they're so anxious about everything. And, and man, you just wish you could just shake them and say, man, the Lord loves you. He's going to take care of you. You know, the, the Bible says that when Aaron was supposed to bless the people, it says in Numbers chapter 6, that he was supposed to say, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. No matter what is going on in your life, he wants you to have peace. That's who he is. He is Jehovah Shalom. As a matter of fact, it gets even better if you go over to Psalm 23. And this is one that we're familiar with. In Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, you learn all these things about the Lord. And then you even learn Jehovah Ra'ah, that the Lord is my shepherd. You know, and that's such a cool thing to know. Um, you will never lack. That's what it says. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I will never lack. Never in my life. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Now, to get a sheep to lie down meant that that sheep had to be convinced that he was under good care. And so you begin to lie down in green pastures. And it says right there, he leads me beside the still waters. He's not going to take you where the waves are crashing, you know, and make you go through the washing machine. Man, he's going to give you a place where you can drink. He's going to restore your soul. He's going to take care of you. You go through the valley of the shadow of death, and that might be your death or someone else's death. And you won't be afraid of the enemies. Why? Because he's got his rod and staff. I mean, it's just amazing when you realize that the Lord is your shepherd. Now, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it's kind of cool because, you know, the word shepherd and, and pastor are the same. And I was telling my wife this earlier today. I said, man, it's so cool. The Lord is my pastor. The Lord is my pastor. He's our pastor. You know, thank God. Aren't you guys glad that I'm not the pastor, so to speak? Because I was telling Shelly, there's so much going on. There's so much going on in the church. Um, I definitely can't handle it. But he can. Why? Because he's our pastor, right? He's our shepherd. And you learn all these things about the Lord. We're his sheep. He takes care of us. If you go over to Exodus 17, we've got two more and then we're done. Exodus chapter 17 is a story where the children of Israel were given victory over the Amalekites. And it says in verse 8, Now Amalek came and fought with Israel and Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with 
the edge of the sword. And so real quick, you guys, you get the visual if you can. So, you know, Moses is like this. And when he's like this, Joshua is down in the valley. And when he's just worshiping the Lord, the people are, are victorious. Amalek in the Bible is a typology of the flesh. And so down there, the people are winning. And then all of a sudden, as time goes on, who knows, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's two hours. But eventually, you know, his arms they get heavy. And so he puts them down. I've got to rest for a second. And then he looks down and he sees that then the Israelites are beginning to get defeated. He's like, oh, man, what's up? The Holy Spirit says, hey, lift up your arms again. So he lifts up his arms again and then they start winning. Puts them down and they start losing. And he starts going, hey, this is fun. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> he sees the connection. Aaron and her, they see the connection. So what do they do? They put a rock right here. One guy gets on this side. The other guy gets on this side. Together they hold up his hands. He worships. And the people of Israel prevail. And just as a quick side note, it's so cool because that is the way that it works. That as you worship God, no matter what the circumstance, what the battle is, what's going on, you just, you just worship God. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Then you win. But when your arms cut, get heavy and you're like, you know what, I'm not into this anymore. I don't trust God anymore. Then you lose. And that's when the Lord provides the strength. Sometimes he provides the friends to help you through life. And God gave them that victory. This is something they learned early in their you know, journey. So they would need this later on in life. And so what ends up happening after it's all done, in verse 15, it says, And Moses, Moses built an altar and called its name The Lord is my banner. Literally in the Hebrew, Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. And you're like, what's that? (laughs) The Lord is my banner. Well, for us, probably the best word to use would be the Lord is my flag. You know, where you put up the flag and there it, it just waves. You raise that standard. To tell the whole world that he is the one that gives you the victory. You see, you march out into war and you're trusting in him. You see, and as you go through life and as they're going through life, they're learning all these things about the Lord. The Lord is my rock. The Lord is my strength. The Lord is my love. The Lord is my friend. The Lord is my husband. The Lord is... And you just go on and on. He's everything to us. It's not just a precept, a principle, or a program. It's a person. The last one is this. If you go over to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 48. Ezekiel speaks of the millennial kingdom. It speaks of the kingdom to come one day. And as he, you know, wraps things up here of his prophetic letter, it's a real awesome book. It says in verse 35, Ezekiel 48, all the way around shall be 18,000 cubits and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Or literally in the Hebrew, Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. And I don't know about you, but I cannot wait for that day when I'm in heaven. You know, sometimes we worship the Lord or sometimes we go through things in life. Maybe it's prayer time or whatever. Have you guys ever like worshiped the Lord 
you know, and you're, you know, you're just, man, your heart is surrendered. Have you ever done that and felt his presence? Have you ever done that and sensed his presence? You guys ever done that? Isn't that a wonderful experience? It's a taste of heaven. It's just a taste of heaven. But I want you to know this, man, that one day when we're there, you can take that experience and you can multiply it a million times. We will be in the presence of God. Jehovah Shema, the Lord is present. And there'll never be a moment, not a split second, for all of eternity that we will not be in the presence of God. You know, life is cool. We have fun. We laugh, right? You guys laugh, right? Okay. All right. Just making sure. I always think God is cool. I'm all, man, God, you're so cool. You give us tickle spots. And I know that was for a reason, man, because you want us to laugh. Life is cool and life is fun. But no matter how good it gets down here, it ain't nothing compared to what's going to happen one day when we're home. You know, we are fish out of water. This is not our world. And you can take a fish and you can put it on the sand and you can give it a nice Kool-Aid drink and, you know, some sunglasses and put a little, you know, shade over it and everything. (laughs) But it's still a fish out of water. And that's who we are. We're fish out of water. One day we'll be home. And like Warren Wiersbe said, it's not just a destination. It's a motivation. I always tell my kids, you know, hey, the reason why I lecture you like this because I want you to go to heaven. I want you to be there. And I say the same thing to you guys. One day when you die, and we're all going to die or get raptured, we want to be there. We want to not only be there ourselves, but we want to take as many people with us as we can. Amen? All right, Lord, we just come before you. We thank you so much for your word. And Lord, there's just so much here. Um, I know I can't give it justice, Lord God, but you're still who you are, Lord. You're still the God of this beautiful congregation, Lord, of every single individual here. We are your workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which you prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You're the Savior. You're everything, Lord. Strengthen your church, Lord. Strengthen the brothers and sisters that are here. And if there's any that don't know you, Lord, today, I pray, Lord, I pray that you would speak life over them. And, Lord, that you would save their soul. And just as we're here and every eye is closed, every head's bowed, as you guys are praying, just in case, man, I don't know, you know, but just in case, if there is anyone here today, if you were to die today, you don't know if you'd go to heaven. But you want to know that. You want to have that assurance. You need to know that our sins, they separate us from God. You know, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ came down and died on a cross and they put him in a grave and then The third day he rose again and he conquered death. And since he lives, you can live too. But you need to turn from your sins and you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so just in case there are any here today, I just want to give that invitation right where you're at. If you want to receive the Lord, 
If you want to know that when you die, you go to heaven, if you want that assurance, then right where you're at, just raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. This is your opportunity. The Bible says today is a day of salvation. Thank you, Lord, for the hand that's gone up. Anyone else? It's the most important decision you can ever make. You can leave the same way you came in. Or you can leave a totally different person.